0: Hello, Clear Skies Ahead listeners. This is Kelly Savoy, and I'm hoping you can take a moment of your time to rate and review our show wherever you listen to podcasts. We have produced over 60 episodes, and you can help us reach even more individuals that will benefit from the diverse experiences shared by our guests. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this new episode. Welcome to the American Meteorological Society's podcast series, Clear Skies Ahead, conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond. I'm Kelly Savoy and I'm here with Matt Mall, and we'll be your hosts. We're excited to give you the opportunity to step into the shoes of an expert working in weather, water, and climate sciences.
1: We're happy to introduce today's guest, Mariama Feaster, graduate research assistant at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. Welcome, Mariama. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. Mariama, could you tell us a little bit about what got you interested in meteorology and how it influenced your educational path?
2: Okay, um, well, it all started out at seven years old, and I read a book called Tornadoes. And um, at first, I thought tornadoes didn't exist. So I decided to do a little research, and when I found out that they do exist, I just started reading more about it, learning how they form, um, where do they occur. And then it just eventually brings out to hurricanes, thunderstorms, lightning. And then, yeah, since then, I fell in love with meteorology.
0: And so did you um, pursue any, or did you even have the opportunity to pursue some courses when you were in high school? Or did you just decide, you know, once you graduated that you wanted to go to school and major in that?
2: In high school, didn't really have um, any courses that geared strictly towards uh, meteorology, but I have taken video broadcasting class. But I learned that video, I learned that being a broadcast meteorologist wasn't going to be my thing because during high school, um, I attended a weather camp at Jackson State University, and we had to do uh, We had to practice. Um, we had to practice um, presenting the forecast. Like as if you're a broadcast meteorologist. But I kept getting really nervous in front of camera. So right there I was like, it right there, it was just a no for me. From there I decided to work behind the scenes. Yeah, <laughs> and, I don't blame uh, you. I figured that would be um more beneficial for me instead of being on TV and talking to a live audience, <laughs> especially those who are watching, watching my moves. So it's kinda like a nerve wracking um moment for me. But um, when I got to college and I actually became an undergraduate at the state, that's when I got to my major, meteorology, like I wanted to do meteorology right off the bat. So that's why I started taking classes. And that's why I began having about four internships during my time there.
1: Excellent. That's great. And so can you walk us through what were some of the deciding factors in choosing to attend the University of Alabama in Huntsville for your uh, Master's of uh, Science in Atmospheric Science.
2: The biggest factor was choosing an advisor who who shares exact interests as I do. And behold, I found Dr. Nup because his interests involve severe weather and instrumentation, which were those two were like the ultimate key factors for me. Because I like to be hands-on as I learn as I learn more about weather. So um, when I um emailed him at the time, he was going, he was attending the AMS um in 2019. And then from there, that's where I decided to meet with him. And then when I got there, um, he was attending one of the seminars, the presentation on me. And once I saw him, he said, and I quote, hello ma'am, I've been expecting you. <laughs> and I think right there, that's where I knew i I was in, and he 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 in he, he, that I was a chosen one, I guess
0: <laughs> so are you originally from that area, and that was another factor that 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 made that school you know interesting or
2: you know the appropriate choice? Um no, I'm originally from Georgia, I guess location it didn't really matter much about when it comes to weather. I guess it was more so like what can I learn from it? What can I grasp on and um what can I um do hands-on projects with? Cuz um cuz during my time cuz during my time as an undergrad I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot what I can do in the middle field cuz there's so many things you can do in the field. And um I noticed that I have excellent community outreach Skills like I want to go out and help people, help people learn more about STEM, um, meteorology particularly because not enough people, especially in communities where they, where they kind of um, have trouble being resilient during these events where they have um, lack of assistance. So me learning about severe rather and knowing many ways to help people, what really um, caught my eye and um, helped me develop a keen interest. And in, hey. Instead of just learning about the weather, I should learn how, um, how to help people so that way they can be better prepared for these severe weather events. Well,
0: that's definitely uh, an admirable choice in you know, your, your pursuit of meteorology. So getting back to your master's, could you describe a little bit about why you were interested in becoming a research meteorologist and how your
2: research for your master's thesis ties into that field? This is like far the most um, difficult task I had to do. I of all the research projects I had to do because like first they were kind of giving me like an internships. Like, you know, when you go to internships, they have a list of topics and a list of materials you use. And all you have to do is like figure out the data and figure out the results. And that's that because everything has already been planned. You already have the objectives. You already have the title. You already have you pretty much already have the abstract. All you have to do is put all that together. This time, I had to do, like, pretty much with guidance, of course. I had to do most, I do all of it myself. Right from scratch. Right from yes. scratch. Yes, from scratch. And it was like, oh, oh, there. Um, oh, no, what am I supposed to do? What is this? How was it? This is, like, a big major transition for me. from so I'm coming from an HBCU school to a PWI, because in PWI, you learn, you learn a lot and you go deeper into stuff. Than you would at HBCU schools because due to the um resources they may they may not have, like PWIs would, but it really does depend on school. schools. So in my case, um there's a lot I'm learning from this school than um I did from my time at Jackson State. Like I never knew that the GR2 software exists. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know radar, I, I mean, I knew radar exists, but I didn't know how to use a radar. So it's like the things that we didn't learn, that I'm learning now, we have to like, find our own way. And that's another thing Justice State taught us, taught us like independence and, said, and taught us that when the resources aren't really given to you, you have to go out and find the resources yourself. And of course, with people who you know. So Justice State did taught me that, and um, that's what I'm doing. So everything I learned from Jackson State, I'm applying it to here. And um, like I said, um, I do try to do, I would try to do community outreach with it. And I figure by using that with my thesis, I can not only figure out um, my thesis about um, mesovortices and the social tornadoes within the QLCS. So with that, once I understand how the the mesovortices are developed, and the environmental conditions they do bring in they do bring to the formation of tornadoes. They may with that information, it it should help forecasters have a better understanding on what the mesovortices are and um, how to look for them because they do happen really quick. Because <laughs> oftentimes we just so focus on the QLCS, we we sometimes forget about the um the MVs um that spawn and then literally you know they also help tornadoes form really quickly, which would be more dangerous because this happened so quickly in the, in the in that certain area where you're like, what just happened? What we did not know. We were so focused on the five snail we forgot this one. <laughs> but um but yes, um my goal hopefully at the end of my thesis is to start a conversation about rental vortices and how they can help produce tornadoes. And to use it as a way for forecasters and other meteorologists to um to understand more about mesovortices and how to better forecast these tornadoes because some tornadoes do spawn out of nowhere.
0: Sounds like an interesting topic. So, as a graduate student, how how long do you have to complete a thesis? Do you have the entire time that you're in school, or do you not even get enrolled in like your thesis research? course until like your final year how does it work
2: um i have the entire time it's hard to do because i have classes to take But right now i only have three classes left and so i think at this point i can't i'm more able to get heavily um into my thesis with me i'm a slow learner i like to take my time learning things and I like to go at a slow pace because i try to fast pace it don't it didn't times it don't really work too well with me because then with my autism, I get flustered easily, and then I'll go to, like, a mental breakdown. So to keep myself in check, it's, I figured for me it be better to slow my pace. So at first, I was, like, kind of um, down on myself on on me graduating, but then, like, since I started Twitter, and Twitter I was, like, down on myself, like, oh, no, um, dang, I wanted it as bad to... Graduate like in like four or five years because I'm slow because I'm a slow learner. I'm a slow and going at a slow pace because many, typically many graduates students will graduate in, like two or three years. But I talked to many, many um, alumni and other graduates and they all said the same thing. It's like it doesn't really, t- it doesn't technically matter how long it takes you. As long as complete. you finish. <laughs> yeah, to finish. As long as you finish. That's really all that matters. because you're going to the same degree like everyone else, same signatures like everyone else. And you're filling out the same requirements everyone else. You're just going at a slow pace, some faster than some more slow. It just depends how you go at it.
0: Right. And it doesn't matter because, you know, me personally, it took me close to four years to finish my master's degree because I was working full time and I just couldn't, I just couldn't fit it in. You know, it's, it's like I, I wanted to do well and if I was going to jam you know, three or four classes in while I was working full-time. That was not going to work out well for me. (laughs) So I tried that in the beginning and I said, no, I am going to crash and burn. So, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, I agree with you as long as you complete it and you do well.
2: Yeah, and I'm not even, I'm not working because my fellowship requires me to solely focus on my research. So, but yeah, I'm not working, but it's just like these classes are like a lot difficult because like I'm just learning a lot of new stuff versus what I learned my um, at my other school. And I would ask my mentor uh, slash friend, and so I was like, wait, how you learn this? We didn't go over this. This is really hard. He did not teach us this. We're like, yeah, well, that's grad school. You're going to go really deep into the things that you guys have learned. So you have to figure out some resources and ask people for help. And that's what I've been doing.
1: <laughs> and I want to circle back just a little bit. We were talking about um, uh, your community outreach and, uh, and volunteering. And I want to hear a little bit more um, just about your volunteering and community outreach services related to STEM, specifically trying to inspire our young students to be, you know, future generation of scientists. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: So um, my other school, we have symposiums um, time to time whenever we can. And what we did was um, invite some high schoolers who will be interested in the STEM field. And uh, me, along with other undergrads, we would like share our experiences and um, some advices. So I did that plenty of times. I, even, I was even a mentor um, for one of the students. Not for STEM, it's not STEM related. It's just basically showing around campus, like, you know, if I to get to know the school and everything. So that's what I did as an undergrad. And now as a grad student, um, we we're now currently having a, an RAU internship going on, and what I did was um, I volunteered to present my college journey. So what I did was um a whole presentation on what I did at Jackson State, and then what I did here, and I told about my tradition from from Jackson State to here, and and them advices on transitions on transitions to um possibly going to grad school and um, for and future internships that they may have planned for next summer. And they were very, um, they were very interactive. They asked a bunch of questions, like what were my, like what was like the difficulties, um, uh, what, like like what were some difficulties I learned, what were some mistakes I made, and um, what were some favorite internships, a lot of questions.
0: That's awesome. That, that's great that you had the opportunity to be able to do a presentation and I'm sure they really appreciated it. So you, ha- you had mentioned that um, you have autism and how has that helped or hindered you in certain situations in the field? And what are some of the obstacles you faced during your educational journey? and How have you personally handled them?
2: Okay, so I have been diagnosed with autism since I was seven. I didn't find out until mm-hmm. I... I didn't even know I had autism until I saw on my IEP back in high school saying autism disorder, Asperger's syndrome. And I asked my dad about it. And he told me, yeah, you've been diagnosed with that since seven. And I was like, how come you never told me? Because <laughs> I walking around like it's <laughs> just as if I had like social anxiety or something. It's something that kind of hindered me from interacting with my age group. <laughs> Cause like when I'm socializing with older people, it's fine. But when I'm socializing with someone around my age, it's hard because they have more experience than me, and I feel like a late bloomer, where it's hard for me to relate. It's it still is to this day. But I was just like but now I it's all about finding my own people. Find people who relate to me as much as I can relate to them. And necessarily not gonna relate to the whole entire world because there's some experiences that I never really went through. But I know in the past, um, my autism has hindered me at that point. For me, I'm socializing with my age group and and other people, and um, where it kind of get a little worse over time. Where I would be so nervous, be too scared to ask for help. I mean, I would just literally sit there <laughs> and the struggle, and I would um, not get social cues. They they they're proven. they have proven as I. As I got older, but um, but thanks to my parents and friends, I have to grow out of that little hole where I'm able to see where I'm able to see and in all of some social cues. I still have trouble with it, but it's the learning process <laughs> where it has to happen to me so many times for me to actually get it. I was like, oh, OK, now I get it. <laughs> OK, yeah, that's <laughs> definitely not OK. This is OK. I can do that. I should not do that. Is like I have to cover like a lot of rules for myself. Um, brushing off the rules my parents gave me. So, um, yeah, because my parents, they're like, they're really, I think when they find out that I have autism, they was like, okay, well, we can't take this lady because she has to learn because when she gets older, she's going to have to learn to fend for herself. She's going to have to learn to speak and learn when to ask for help <laughs> and also make friends because I was, I was having a Hardest time, make your friends. <laughs> so, um, but meteorology, though, um, it has hindered me time to time because when it comes to learning difficult materials. My brain would just be like, it'd just be screaming in the inside. We're like, my God, I'm not getting it. It's frustrating me. I don't want to do this. But with the help of my mentor and by asking for help, <laughs> things start to wrote down and I started to eventually understand stuff. I even tried to, I even tried to find um, other resources that helped me understand it, understand the materials I'm learning.
0: Well, it sounds like you've, you know, been very successful. You're now in graduate school, you've, you're presenting, you know, for other students to help them out. So it sounds like you've definitely um, learned how to handle it appropriately. So um, that that's, that's great.
1: And um, Mariama, you've mentioned it also that uh, diversity is very important to you in the in STEM and in the STEM field. Can
2: you talk a little bit about that? So um, in the midology field, what I experienced, especially this huge addition from undergrad to graduate, um, each time I go to conferences and also um, focus on my own business at school, I, I will always look around and just wondering huh, there's not enough um, of my people here in the field. And over time, I would hear how it's very important to try to get a master, especially with um, people like me, because it's one thing to be a male in the science field because males are a dominant species (laughs) in the science field. Uh, I'm not knocking it or anything, but it's like it does kind of put... Females into slight disadvantage because, because I'm like, oh, okay, as a man, you like, you like, now you're stronger, you also could be smarter, you also control your emotions more, and stuff like that. Well, I'm like, well, females can do it too, but, but I guess over the years, it's been deemed as unladylike or anything like as if we, as if it feels like we're still stuck back in the 40s and 50s where we're only looked at as. Caretakers, um, cleaners, maids, stuff like that. Where I'm like, no, uh-uh, I can do this. I can be <laughs> independent, as much as you can. <laughs> I can learn this stuff as much as you can. And as a black female with autism, I do see. It's like to me personally, I feel like I see myself as a high, as like the highest advantage because, because I know some autistic people will have trouble getting to where I'm at right now especially someone in someone my color and my gender. But to other people, they may see it as a threat. It's a triple threat, I should say, where it can be hard for me to um, get out. Like um, during my time as a graduate student, I have felt like I did have the imposter syndrome. I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. These people know a lot more than me. Why I'm here? Why did he pick me? <laughs> and I remember to my mentor about this, and she was like, look, they picked you for a reason. Because if there was no reason, you would not be here, like at all. So don't focus on that. Just focus on what you came here to do, and then just do it. And there times where I felt like unnoticed, but... But I do remember. But I do remember. I'm taking time to myself. I'm like, well, hold up. The reason why they're not. The reason why I be noticed is because you're not being vocal. You need to be vocal. You need to, like make them hear you, make them see you. Because as long you keep doing that, then eventually, eventually they were like, oh yeah, how about mariama <laughs> I'm like, ah, yeah. And that's why I always try to do We come to these the points, because they're so quick picking other people they know, where I may be unnoticeable like as if I'm not there because I'm like the only black female in this program and there's one black male but there's one black female in my program and that's and this while well, there's only like four girls in the research group while well, majority of them are males so yeah and I noticed that I noticed in my group I noticed that a lot of guys are more vocal and they would speak on a lot of stuff and everything and they're usually the ones who go first and stuff while the females who just sit there be quiet and just listen and right there that kind of like earth my nerves sometimes I'm like well hold up I know a lot of you guys have something to present so yeah you shouldn't have to wait just do it like they're doing <laughs> I, I understand it's nerve, it's nerve wracking. It's, it's, yeah, it's scary. And trust me, I get scared to do that all the time, but close mouths don't get fed. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> and and I think we've all had that imposter syndrome at some point in time, but you know, you're a great role model for others. You, you know, it's like people see you and they, and they can relate people who uh, may have autism or some of the challenges that you faced and they see you and they say, Hey, you know, I can do this. So I I think it's awesome that um, you're, you're in a field that may be more male dominated, but you're just making your way and making people know you're there and you're heard and good for you. So you're a member of Upstorm, which is UAH's profiling storm team for operational and research meteorology. That's a mouthful. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that program?
2: Um, what it is um it is the organization where we have undergrad and grad students that would like um be more involved in research it, because undergrads aren't technically to even go out and to even go out and do research with the faculty members, including graduate students, you have to be like an upper. You have to have one have a certain amount of experience, and two, be an upperclassman, and you have to be a certain age too. It's part of requirements, unfortunately, which some freshmen and sophomores aren't there yet. So, one of the um, one of the students who were going here, they started a club for that for. Undergrads get more for them to learn more about uh, upper air observation and also on field deployments and me as a as a graduate I can already go out there and do research out in the field if I really want to but I do but there are times when I can't so to at least help out a little I would interact with them and release some weather balloons and look at the um, the T and learn and learn from what I'm seeing. So um, that's what I'll do. And I even, I also did a little bit of outreach with them as well, where um, I presented, where we had workshops, like a resume, LinkedIn workshops. I participated in that by showing my LinkedIn and explaining them what I added on my page, what I thought it would be more most important for our recruiters to know. And um, that's my resume. <laughs> I even showed my resume as well. And um, I believe I oh yeah, um uh, we also had um we also had the Rocket City um, event last semester and which was just really fun. <laughs> and uh, what I did was I presented one of my favorite internships and I also um, I also want to help help another student um named Cindy. Um, we also um, we also play an interactive game. Tit that toe different it's it's done differently, a little bit different where we ask questions and they get the and they get it right, then where the X or O it we just put it on their spot. They claim that um spot and they'll keep going until someone gets um tit toe.
1: Oh, that's cool. It's outstanding. Um so you've talked a lot about just some tremendous experiences that you've had. And I'm wondering for our student listeners, just what advice would you have for uh, students that are looking to pursue different internships?
2: One. Be yourself. <laughs> That's the most important factor. And um, two, um, don't be afraid to learn and try out new new things. You'd be very surprised on how broad the student fields are.
1: Excellent. Um, well, we're so grateful for everything you've told us about your career. And before we go, we always like to ask uh, our guests one last fun question at the end of our show. So. Um, if for you, if you could beat one famous person alive or dead, who would it be?
2: It would be Michael Jackson. He was the one who induced me to um, pop. Not only I learned from my mom's music, but she introduced me to the Michael Jackson song. And from there, that's when I started on um, Broadway, my music taste, where it went from pop music to hip hop, rap. I just, I just I just learned to love like, and appreciate all genres. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's great, that's fantastic, excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Mariama, and sharing your experiences with us.
2: Thank you for having me, and it's been fun talking with you all.
0: Well, that's our show for today. Please join us next time, rain or shine.
2: Clear
1: skies ahead. Conversations about careers in meteorology and beyond is a podcast by the American Meteorological Society. Our show is edited by Peter Trebke, technical direction is provided by Peter Kilale. Our theme music is composed and performed by Steve Savoy, and the show is hosted by Matt Mall and Kelly Savoy. You can learn more about the show online at www.ametsoc.org forward slash clear skies. And you can contact us at skypodcast at ametsoc.org. If you have any feedback or would like to become a future guest.